0: well good evening as we uh, get started here tonight on our seventh study here of the inside out series we've been talking about character formation and uh, how god works and uh, shapes us spiritually and to who he wants us to be and so we're in our seventh study here tonight so let's pray before we get started and uh, ask god to be with our study God, we bow before you tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. And uh, God, we thank you for the fact that you do work in and through us. And uh, God, we thank you that, uh, Lord, through the ways that you work in and through us, God, that you're shaping us into who you want us to be. And God, you use all parts of our being to do that. And so tonight, God, as we look at your word, uh, we pray that that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, God, that you would give us hearts to understand that which you have in store for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here we are in the seventh part and we've talked uh, over the last several weeks about a lot of different ways that God shapes us uh, And he shapes our character we talked about uh, We talked about how God uses our emotions uh, how he uses our thoughts And so tonight we want to look at something uh, as well and how the part really that takes it all into to- uh, to- to- into totality uh, You see the purpose uh, the first blank on your handout here. Of spiritual formation is to redeem us. You see, God's plan for us is to take the nature, the sinful nature that we inherit from Romans chapter 5, and so he wants to redeem that nature to align us and our lives to the mission of Christ. You see, the one thing that God is most interested in your life and in my life is that we would be just like Jesus, that we're conformed to the image of Christ. And so as God does that, he is taking all of the things that are inside of us that are sinful through our own nature and upbringing, all the, as we talked about with character, all the things that we bring to the table, our influences, our external circumstances that uh, we may bring into our life that allow God to shape us through him redeeming those qualities inside of us. But the problem is all of those things that God is shaping, all the things that God is redeeming in our life, those things are competing. They're at conflict with one another, and they're trying to become uh, the greater leader, if you will, within our lives. And so we've got the sin nature that's trying to be in charge, and then we have the Spirit of God that God's put inside of our lives that wants to be the leader of our life, to be in charge of our life. And so we find oftentimes that those are in great conflict. You remember Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that the things that I don't want to do, I do, and the things that I do want to do, I don't do. And so what happens is we end up doing the things that we don't want to do by allowing our flesh to lead us or to take over the things that God intends for us to do. Now, the flesh's desire is self-satisfaction. Everything that the flesh wants to do is comfort, it's self-promoting, it's self-satisfying. And all of that comes from our thoughts, it's driven by our emotions, even our bodies, as we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, help to or enable our flesh to self-satisfy. But the Spirit of God's desire is the complete opposite of that. The Spirit of God desires that we would be holy, the, the Spirit of God desires that we would submit to the things of God. And that is the polar opposite of what our flesh tells us that we should do. And so, as you see, in most cases, we're not at harmony at all with ourselves, much less with the truth of God. And so as we see this internal conflict that takes place within our lives, we also see the other side of the Spirit of God that's inside of us, that God has placed inside of us. The imperishable seed, the Bible says, that God has placed in us to be who God wants us to be. You see, our lives oftentimes can't find its way into a life of consistent truth and harmonious pursuit of what is good. You see, the Spirit of God, the Bible says, uh, desires that all things work to the good of those, Romans eight twenty eight of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. But that's not the flesh's desire. And so what happens is people that uh, don't consistently live in a pattern of truth or the pursuit of what is good, they're locked in this self-destructive struggle with themselves and everything around them. Uh, unfortunately, you know people like this, people that uh, constantly have unfulfilled desires, they're always dissatisfied with everything that's around. They're always searching for more. There's always another level. There's always something more that they want to receive or that they want to get. And so they're always searching. They're always seeking. They're, they're never uh, at peace. They're never satisfied with that which is, God has given them. And the second indicator of that is poisonous relationships. That dissatisfaction in their life pours into the relationships that they have with people around them, and these are sometimes the most prominent features of a life that is not at peace or at harmony with what God has in store for them. And so, you know, we've all been there before. We we know people like this that there's always this pursuit of more. They're dissatisfied. They're always at an angst with people around them, and this weariness, this. Endless labor is a sure sign of a soul that is not properly rooted in God. You see, this is a person who finds no meaning in their life. I mean, think about it. The society in which we live, there's always this meaninglessness that has captured the hearts of our culture. Think about it. Years ago, what was the most popular show and maybe one of the most popular shows of all time? Seinfeld. I mean, think about what the show Seinfeld is about. Nothing. It is a show about nothing. Now, you know, there's these, you know, Jerry Seinfeld set out to create this show and, you know, as a kind of a tongue-in-cheek type uh, thing, and all of a sudden it becomes the most popular thing. Why is that? Because it's mindless. And so oftentimes we allow ourselves to exist and to live in this meaninglessness or this mindlessness that our culture promotes. Or I'll think about uh, another show that our culture gravitated towards years ago, Jerry Springer. Here's this made up show about these made up situations that ultimately at the end of the day, they lead to nothing. But our world was captivated by this. W- what is wrong? Why, why are there people that live this way? Why, why is it that people don't find any meaning in their lives? Well, it's because of what's running their lives. As we've talked about over the last several weeks, we talked about character development through spiritual formation. Well, there's one last element to this, spiritual formation through character development. It is the one thing that controls everything else that we've talked about. It is the dimension of you that is running your life, and it's called your soul. So tonight, we're going to talk about your soul. What does that look like? What are the characteristics of someone whose life is run by God? Someone who is at harmony with the Spirit of God and the things of God and is pursuing those things that are important to God. You see, when we think of our soul, you know, as I was studying this week over the last several weeks and thinking about the different things that we would talk about tonight, uh, the word that kept coming back is eternity. When we think of soul, we primarily think of eternity. We think of the things that... God has in store for us in eternity. And so, uh, you know, in the early centuries of the Christian era, there was a belief system called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism taught that the body was the prison house of the soul. And so they believed that there was the body and there was the soul and that the body was simply a temporary dwelling place. And, you know, for the most part, they're absolutely correct. In the fourth century, someone you're probably familiar with, the Greek philosopher Plato He perceived that the soul was simply the eternal element in man. Whereas the body is going to perish at death, the soul, he said, was indestructible. And he's absolutely right. And I think a lot of times when we think about soul... We only reserve it to the end of our life that, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord because what you see is not actually who I am and that the soul is the eternal part of me that lives forever. And, and of course, that's absolutely true, but the Hebrew and the Greek word for soul often is translated as life. So what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us not just in eternity but as we live our life, you see, in a narrower sense, the soul simply describes a man and his varied emotions and the inner workings or, or the inner powers of who he is. This is where we would describe the soul today as some, you know, something that we would say is maybe it's our personality or even our ego. But I think it's very important that we understand exactly what soul is and specifically how it applies to our lives here and now. You see, what is the soul and what is the Bible referring to when it speaks of our soul? Let's look at some scripture. In Matthew chapter 22, in verse 37, this is what the Bible says. He said to them, you've heard this before, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Now you've heard that before. You, you know that the Bible, Jesus, they asked Jesus, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment and he said love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind we say well i understand you know with all of my heart that's the passions that's the desires that's the things that uh, captivate my life the things that uh, i spend time with that makes sense with all of my heart with all of my mind you know the bible says that whatever things are pure whatever things are lovely philippians 4 8 to think on these things As we've been studying in Philippians, uh, you know, Paul talks about in chapter 2, verse 5, to have this mind that was in Christ Jesus. So, you know, we understand the heart and the mind, but what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all of your soul? You see, if I'm commanded to love God with all of my soul, I should probably tune in to exactly what that means. You see, our soul is like an inner stream of water which gives strength, it gives direction, it gives harmony to every other area, every other element of our lives. It is this internal uh, force, if you will, that drives us to do the things that we do. And the soul at the most basic level of life is one that is by nature rooted in God. The soul is the eternal part of you that was created by God in the image of God, to accomplish the things of God that He intends for you and I to accomplish. Now, our flesh, as we talked about earlier, is at war against this soul, if you will. Our flesh is at war against the eternal nature because our flesh only knows temporary. And so we must take great care to do whatever we can to keep our soul in God's hands. Now, of course, we recognize all the while that we can only do this with this help, but we've got to focus on what does it mean? What does it mean that I would love God with all of my soul as our flesh, our exterior is constantly enticing us away from our soul? And so we've got to look at where does our dependency lie? Well, it becomes on fulfilling our own desires when, our, when we rely on our flesh instead of resting in the desires of Jesus. As we've talked about with this spiritual formation, our efforts At spiritual formation and being like Jesus, they obviously must reverse this process that our flesh is bent on accomplishing by distancing our soul from God. And so we must bring that back into union with Jesus himself. We've got to look at the ways that uh, the flesh is drawing us away, how our heart, the flesh, uses to captivate us, how our mind uses us, our flesh uses our mind to fixate on the things that are not of God. We must focus on our soul because that is in turn what absolutely runs everything else. You see, the soul actually longs to find meaning in a culture of meaninglessness. Your soul wants to have meaning and to live and to, in the relation to what it was created for. Your soul is the part that draws you to God. Your soul is the part that God uses to draw you unto himself. The Bible says that there's none that seeks after God. No, not one, but it is through the soul that God draws us unto himself. This is why for the believer when you or I stray from God. This is this internal draw back to the things of God. It's when when you and I sin and we have that conviction and we know that it was wrong, we have this desire to go back to God. Well, that comes from your soul. You see, it's important for us to not only understand this concept, but to press into exactly what it means. You see, the Bible says in Matthew 16, 26, for what will it profit a man? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? This is not someone who's passed away and is now in eternity. This is someone, he says, if I gain the whole world, but I lose my soul in the process, what does that look like? How is it possible? How is it possible that you and I can lose our soul? What is he talking about here? Well, it's when we allow influences outside of the things of God to direct our thoughts and to direct our actions. It is when the flesh is in control. It is when the flesh is dominating our thoughts. The flesh is dominating our actions. It is when we allow the things that are outside of us We talked about a few weeks ago with the body. We talked about with the emotions. When we allow the thoughts and the emotions and the desires of our body to uh, run or to uh, master our actions. You see, when our soul is in good order, we're prepared for, we're capable of responding to the situations in life in a good and right manner. But when our soul is not in order, when our soul is influenced And when our soul is run by the exteriors of life, well, then that's when we get into poisonous relationships. That's when we live in an unsatisfied state of affairs. So I want to, uh, let's turn to Psalms. I want to look tonight. It's on your handout in Psalms chapter one. Let's look at what a man whose soul is in line with God. Let's see what he does. And then we're going to look at some characteristics of who he is. And so look with me uh, tonight here, Psalms chapter one. Verse 1 through 3, this is what the Bible says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree, verse 3 says, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, the Bible says, he prospers. And so here we've got a picture of a man who is living the life that God has called him to live. He is driven by, he is controlled by the good things of his soul in which God created him for. And so let's look here. What Number one, what does he do? Well, he is careful what he allows in his life. He's careful what he allows in his life. Now, let me ask you a question. What is it that you are allowing in your life tonight? Who has influence in your life? And then the follow-up question of that would be, why? Why do those people have influence? Why do those things have influence in your life? Of course, the hot button today is politics. And there's all this, you know, this has happened and this has happened. And, and a conspiracy and so on and so forth. And all everybody has an opinion. And everybody's got something that they want to say about what's going on and talk radio and all this stuff that we hear. And the question is, you have, why, why are you allowing these things in your life? You have to be careful what you allow into your mind. The Bible says that this man here, he, he is uh, blessed because he doesn't allow the counsel of the wicked. To have counsel from someone is, you've got to listen to them. You've got to hear what they're saying. And what the Bible is saying here is this man is someone who walks not. So in other words, he is not taking the advice of the wicked. He is not following those, the things that he's hearing in his life, the words that he's allowing into his mind. He is not following those words that lead him away from God. But he is yet focused on the things of God. His delight is in the law of the Lord. So who has influence? What are you allowing into your life? The second thing that we see here tonight is that he's careful about his idleness. Now, this is a big deal. Look look what it says. It says, he walks not in the counsel of the wicked. He stands not in the way of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. He's not standing in the way. Sinners are not intersecting Him. The paths of of sinners, He is not falling in line with what the flesh is desiring to do. He is very careful about His idleness. You see, when we are idle, we can convince ourselves of whatever we want to be true. If I sit around long enough by myself, I can convince myself of anything, and so can you. You see, what happens is when we're idle, we become distracted by the things that are around us. We can convince ourselves of things that are absolutely not the case. As I started thinking about idleness, I started thinking about the mountains. I absolutely love the mountains. I love Smoky Mountains and Wyoming, and I'm captivated by mountains and specifically mountain streams. I absolutely love mountain streams. And as I was thinking about idleness, I thought about these mountain streams. I I was in the mountains a few weeks ago, and and, uh, I saw uh, a beautiful stream. I always go and just sit and listen and watch the clear, amazing water stream as it comes down. And I was thinking to myself, look how clear that water is. It never stops running. It's clear as a bell. And all of a sudden, we've got this, this clear water that is always coming down, and th- this stream that's always flowing. But then the opposite of that is true. That Have you ever been to a pond, and, and you've seen a pond, like, you know, you see all the waters around here that are enclosed? And, and what, are you, what is indicative of those bodies of water that aren't moving, that are stale, that are stagnant? Well, bacteria is present, right? Things that are eating away at the ecosystem there. The water's not clear. Who knows what's inside of it? It's not moving. It becomes filled with bacteria. Well, so does a life that is idle. Listen, I I probably take my chances in drinking water from a a mountain stream. Clear water looks like it's pure. But I can tell you that I'm not drinking from a pond. And neither are you. And it's the same way in our spiritual life. You see, God is a God of action. And he calls us to a life of action. And so, for so many, there are so many churches that are full of people that are simply sitting on the premises and they're not moving with God. They're not in action with God. They're stale, they're stagnant, they're sitting there. Jesus nor any of his disciples were idle. Jesus was always moving, Jesus was always at work. This man, whose soul is in the right manner with God, He is very careful about what he allows into his life, and he is very careful about his idleness. The third thing we see here is that he is careful about who he associates with. About who he associates with. Look what it says. He says, nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. He is not guilty by association. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. You see, that is what he doesn't do. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. He's not associated with those people that aren't involved in the things of God, that are not moving towards the things of God, that are not caring for the things of God, that the things of God are not important to them. He stays away from those people. He doesn't allow those people in his life. Who has influence over your life? Who is in your life that is leading you away from God? Well, you may need to move. Who, who in your life, there's so many times in, in churches especially, as we get comfortable in groups and then we get idle in those groups and we stay the same. Listen, if, you have not, if you're in the same group and you're idle and you're not in action for God, well, then you need to self-evaluate. You need to say, okay, well, where am I at here? What does this look like for me? You see, this is what he doesn't do. But what does he do? Well, let's look at the characteristics of what he does do. Look what it says. It says his delight, verse 2, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. Well, number one, he's got a strong support system. He has a strong support system. You you see, look what it says. He's like a tree planted by streams of water of water. He had someone who invested in him. He had someone, he was planted. He had someone who cared enough to put him in the right place and to invest in him for him to be able to hear what God had to say for him, what God had in store for him. So he had someone who planted him. He had someone who who put him by the streams of water. So he had water that was nourishing him. He had a strong support system. I mean, this goes back to what we said earlier. is Who are you careful? Who do you associate with? You need people around you that are spurring you to be who God wants you to be. You need people around you that are encouraging you to be a part of, to take risk for God, as Pastor Tony talked about last week. He had a strong support system. Number two, the characteristics that he have is his environment. His environment encourages him to produce fruit. His His environment encourages him to produce fruit. Several years ago, we moved into a house, and uh, I had a plant that was planted behind our privacy fence. So you couldn't see it. It was only in the backyard. And, you know, you'd only see it if you went to the backyard. So I was pretty much the only one who knew it was there. And then there was two other plants that were planted right out by the driveway. They were right out by the road. Well, one of those plants died. It didn't make it, didn't survive for whatever reason, and it died. And so I had one plant on one side and no plant on the other side of my driveway. But then I had this same type plant in my backyard. And so that plant in the backyard was flourishing. It was growing well and, you know, it was sitting behind the fence. No one could see it, but it was just growing and growing and growing. And so I said, you know what I ought to do? I ought to take that plant from behind that tree, I'm sorry, from behind that fence, and I ought to move it and put it on the other side of the driveway. It's the same type plant, it would look great up there. It's doing so well. And so I transplanted, I dug it up from behind the fence and I took it out front and I planted it right by my driveway. Now what do you think happened with that plant? It flourished. It was flourishing behind the fence. I moved it out front, now everybody can see it. And it's continuing to grow, continuing to flourish. You see, all these things that we've talked about over the last several weeks have influence over who we are and our being because we become a product of our environment. We become a product of our environment. Here's this plant that's behind the fence. It's growing. It's becoming, you know, it's becoming this plant that, you know, it's created to be. It's growing in the environment that it's in, but it's behind the fence and no one can see it. But guess what? That plant didn't say, hey, I want to move out front. Hey, I want to grow out front. That plant just grew where that plant was planted. You see, this is what he says. He says, planted by the streams of water that yields fruit in its season. This fruit is produced in its season and not necessarily immediately after it was planted. Now, I want you to be very careful to listen to what I'm about to say. I want you to be very careful to listen to this. This person bears fruit when they are supposed to. They bear fruit when they are supposed to. Now, here's this plant that was in my backyard, and it was growing right where it was planted. Behind the fence, no one else could see it, but diligently growing and being nourished by the environment. And then I moved it out front. You see, this plant's time was to grow in the backyard where no one could see it. And it wasn't front and center. And it was completely content with doing that. And I think we can take a lesson from that. We can say, look, just because I'm not planted by the driveway so everyone can see me doesn't mean that God doesn't have something in store for me. It doesn't mean that I'm not doing what God called me to do. Maybe God called me to grow behind the fence for a while. Maybe God's calling me to do something that no one else can see. Maybe God is calling me to grow internally into who He wants me to be before He moves me out front. You see, I think there's a warning here that we have to be careful about. And it is the danger of premature fruit, or what I would call imitation fruit, of springing up too fast. I mean, that's what the Bible says, the par- parable of the sower and the seed, right? is that there was this seed that fell on stony ground and that it sprung up for a little while. And I think a lot of times we see this. This is when someone moves based on their own desires or what they see God doing in the lives of other people. And so they say, well, I want that to happen in my life, and so I'm just going to imitate what God is doing in their life. There's a danger here. Listen, the Bible says that it yields fruit in its season we have to be faithful in what god has called us to do and the environment that we're in has to be conducive to growth so that when god moves us to another area maybe he moves us out front so to speak that we'll be ready and prepared and capable of doing what god called us to do you see that plant that was originally in the front yard it died it wasn't capable of producing what it was intended for but the plant that grew behind the fence, well, it was ready when his time was called. You see, they, these people simply began to replicate in their own lives what they see in the lives of other people instead of allowing God to produce it in them. They want to manipulate the outcome. Be very careful. Be very careful about manipulating the outcome or prematurely doing something that you want to do opposed to what God has In store for you. I mean, the other the other side of the spectrum is true as well. How about a tree that produces fruit and it just hangs on to the fruit, and the tree is full of fruit and it never reproduces? What happens to that fruit? Well, it gets worms in it and it gets stale and it eventually dies on the vine. You see, the person whose soul is planted in the things of God will, in due season, produce fruit. And so instead of saying, well listen, you know, I see fruit in someone else's life and so I'm just going to produce that fruit in my own life. No, God is the one who produces the fruit in the season. Your environment should be one that encourages you to produce fruit and challenges you to produce the fruit that God has in store for you. As I mentioned earlier, you're you're careful about who you associate with. You're not idle. And so let me challenge you with this. If you're a part of a group here or wherever that you're not challenged to grow spiritually, well, then you need to get out of that group. If you've been in a group for years and you're not growing, you need to get out of that group. You should be challenged to grow and encouraged to grow into who God wants you to be. Into who God wants you to be. You see, this is what feeds our soul. It causes us to nourish the internal desire of our soul to be what we were created for. This is where peace comes from. This is where satisfaction comes from. This is where the person who has unsatisfied desires and is always jumping from one to the next, this is where you find peace. Lastly, he doesn't allow his circumstances to determine. The outcome. He doesn't allow his circumstances to determine the outcome. Look what it says. It says, that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Its leaf does not wither. The elements, the heat, the weather, whatever it may have been, it didn't sway his focus on the mission. It didn't sway his focus on the mission. Remember, we don't try to manipulate the outcome. We don't allow the circumstances to determine the outcome. We don't manipulate it. But instead, we abandon the outcomes. We say, God, whatever your will is, let it be done. God, whatever it is that you're doing in me, God, if it's me growing behind the fence for the rest of my life, God, that's what I want to do. God, if it's you want me to move out front and you want me to be a part of what you're doing in some other area, that's what we do. We're content with whatever comes our way. This is someone whose soul is directly influenced and driven by the things of God. So the question is tonight, how do we get that way? How do we get that way? How do we become someone who's driven by heartfelt desires, uh, the spiritual things of God through our internal being of who we are? How do we get to where we're driven by the things of God from the inside? Well, it's very simple. He's already given us the answer. Look what he says in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. You see, he delights in the things that are important to God. He delights in the things that are important to God. And so this man is, is someone who is focused on what? He is focused on the law of the Lord. It is the things that are important to God. It is the things that teach us about who God is. And they also reveal who we are. And these are the things that are important to God. You see, delight is what comes from the soul. You don't wake up and say, well, you look delight today. Well, of course not. Or you don't say, you know what, I'm feeling very delight right now. No, it's not a feeling. It is a response. When you delight in something, it is your response to the experience that you had. And so when God moves in your life, when God speaks in your life, when God draws you unto himself, when God is working inside of you, that is where delight comes from because it is your soul's response to having meaning, to having purpose, to being a part of what God has created you for. Your soul delights in that. It is the response of your soul. So when we delight in these things that are important to God, the things that are important to him will become important to us. And so your life will begin to change. Your soul will begin to strive for the things that are of God, that are important to God, that, are, uh, that have meaning in the kingdom of God, that God wants to accomplish, that have eternal implications. The things that are important to God. You see, so oftentimes we get ourselves tied up in things that aren't important to God. We focus on things that are temporary and not on things that are eternal. And when we delight in the things of God, the things that are important to God, we find ourselves involved in things that last forever. True enough, everything that you see, me, you, all of our exterior shell, one day that'll pass away. But the things that we do for the kingdom of God, those will last forever. And So as we looked at soul tonight, I want to challenge you and encourage you as we part tonight. With Mary's words, it's the Christmas season. Mary has just found out that she's about to have uh, baby Jesus. And so in Luke chapter 1 verse 46, look what Mary says. The Bible says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. That is my prayer for you and for me That we would say that our soul magnifies the Lord. That we would love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. By delighting in the things that are important to God. Amen? Well, let's pray and uh, thank God for our time here tonight. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the soul that you've given us, the gift of the internal director of our lives. And God, would you help us to pay attention to that? God, would you help us to more focus on the things that are important to you instead of the things that are important to the world? God, would you help us to grow? Would you put us in the environment that is conducive to be, uh, for us to be who you want us to be? that we would be challenged to produce fruit, that we would be content with growing behind the fence until you move us to where you want us to be, that our environment would challenge us to grow us to be the man or the woman of God that you created us for. God, thank you for your word, and may our soul magnify you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.